Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbour's house. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbour's. Father, we thank you so much that you are our Father, that you love us and care for us and teach us. And as we think on family relationships this morning, Lord, help our vision to be um, set upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. Take a seat. And if you haven't found, um, if you haven't got it in your hand, grab one of those Bibles from in front of you. Um, and we're actually going to go to Ephesians 6. We're thinking about the fifth commandment this morning. Um, and Rob read that to us earlier from Ephesians. Um, so do turn to page 979. Um, and we'll stick there um, for the rest of our time. We're walking through just four verses this morning and thinking about family life. Um, I knew that I, I will know some of you quite well, um, but others, um, if, if uh, I don't know you, my name is Martin Thompson. Um, my wife and I, we come along here each week. This is our church, and um, it's great to, um, to think on this passage this morning. I've had a couple of weeks thinking on this, and I'm going to try and condense my thinking into um, 20 minutes for us. But last year, on Thursday, the 24th of January at 5.59, we welcomed our first, that was in the morning, 5.59 a.m., we welcomed our first child, a daughter, into the world. And I could remember that week really vividly. It was probably the weirdest week of my life. When I recall it, uh, I often will say things like, I went through some of the worst moments 
of my life because of fear. And yet, some of the best moments as I cradled what can really only be described as this strange little replica of my dad, actually, um, in my arms. Um, I think those were the first words I said to Ruth. She looks just like my dad, um, as I held her in my arms. We were filled with so much excitement just two days before that, Tuesday the 22nd of January. Um, I'd, um, we were booked in for an induction. Freya was showing no signs of arrival. Um, but because we were booked in, I didn't have to go to work that day. So off we headed for a, um, a pub lunch. Um, and we were full of excitement, saying things like, goodness, this time tomorrow we'll be holding our baby. Um, how naive we were. Despite a brilliant and an expensive baby class, lots of advice from those who were a little bit further down the track than us, and reading lots and lots and lots of information, we were not prepared at all. Uh, a slow and a scary uh, delivery uh, meant that um, she arrived in a dramatic fashion, all nine, all nine pounds and ten ounces of her. She didn't arrive as quickly or as smoothly as we might have hoped, but she did arrive. It was scary and it was brilliant. And my goodness, um, our cluelessness that day was proved to be the theme of this last year. Many of you who have gone through that yourselves will know that um, there will have been rough times for us this year, not least just Friday night past when I think between 11 and 5 in the morning there was about two hours of sleep. I've said uh, so many times that just when you think you cannot do another minute of it, suddenly she'll learn to smile or giggle or something that just keeps you going. But some of you knew that I also spent my day-to-day -day as a teacher. And so I see in the teenage years the profound impact of different parenting styles. Different levels of engagement from parents, different ways of disciplining, different aspirations for children and how that impacts them. And I knew that by the time Freya starts school, her vocabulary will already to a large extent, already determined her outcomes at age 16. Research shows us that the two extremes of children starting school can be 40,000 words apart. So I think about the vocabulary that I use when I speak to her and worry about it. I worry about screen time. I worry about maybe too much Calpol or too much Nurofen, but yet it's just so tempting. I worry about working too much or working for too long hours and missing moments. But I suppose the greatest worry on my heart is that we will, or I will, be too heavy at times and steer her away from God. Or that we won't be clear and consistent enough and that we won't draw her to Jesus. There's so much I'm conscious of every day that I need to trust God with. And these verses this morning for us are golden in this. We often feel totally clueless as we go, and yet in these verses we have the wisdom of eternity, truth and wisdom from our creator and sustainer brought to bear on these fleeting domestic moments in our lives. It shows us that God 
God cares deeply. God is interested. And he wants us to raise our children for him. We know that we collectively have a responsibility for that as a fellowship. But this morning, this, this passage is talking about our lives at home. All of us are children, um, and some of us are parents. So I'm going to deal with children first. So that's my first point. Firstly, some advice to children. There's not many maybe with us this morning, but perhaps you can pass it along. Like I say, we are all children, but really what I'm unpacking this morning, at least in this first little bit of this point, is really for those who are living under the roof or authority of their parents. And in a nutshell, Paul says, repeating the commandment, obey and honor your parents. Look with me at those opening words, verse 1 of chapter 6 in Ephesians. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Paul takes all of us, children included, through the reasons for obedience here. He gives us two reasons why we should be obedient. And the first Paul shows us in this part is that it's, it's natural law. He says, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. It is right, he says, it, it, it has been right, it has been demonstrated as right across every culture, every, civil, every civilization and throughout history. Across the globe, in every generation, we see that this principle is expected and, and desired. Obey your parents. In Romans chapter 1, Paul is talking about the depravity he finds in Rome, and he, he describes this moral evil by writing about those that he finds. He talks about slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. And then just at the end of that list, he says, and disobedient to parents. It is right. It is natural law. But then more second, uh, then secondly, he appeals to God's divine law as he quotes this fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother. Now, there are obviously circumstances. I suppose I, I feel like I've got to to park for a second and say there, there are obviously circumstances where safety and other things mean that it is unwise um, for us to encourage children to sit in, in what we might think of t as typical obedience under their parents. But for the vast majority of us, it's really plain here. Paul says children are to obey their parents, full stop. If that's not enough, he goes on to say that actually this obedience will affect your quality of life on the earth and even your length of life. The principle is that for children who obey their parents, well, they're going to prosper just this little bit more in the world. It is really important, I think, to say here that God isn't saying, obey your parents and I will make your life easy. I mean, we, we knew that from 
experience. So, so what does Paul mean? Here, I think he's speaking generally. Let's face it, if a child obeys his or her parents, they are more likely to stay out of harm's way. I can look back and I can attribute most of my childhood accidents and uh, I could list them off, two broken arms, a broken nose, my front teeth being knocked out through my front lip, a front lip, my lip. Um, These were all pretty much a result of not listening carefully to my parents, whether directly at that moment or the voice that should have been in the back of my mind. You see, they, they knew best about how I should stay safe. I carry literally the physical scars of my disobedience to them. So obedience to parents will often keep us out of harm's way, but it will often avoid picking up many or some bad habits or character flaws. God's not engaging here in some kind of strange bribery. I often hear of school children who get rewarded when they get their report with five pounds for whatever grade and four pounds for this. Recently uh, in school, we, ha- we have a particularly challenging student um, in one of our year groups. Um, and as one strategy, we decided to move her to a different class where she might not have the same audience um, appreciating her silly behavior. And we moved her up and her grandparents found out and thought that she'd been moved up um, because she was doing so well and rewarded her with an extremely expensive gift. And it was devastating. It had the opposite effect of what we'd hoped. God is reiterating in his divine law that obedience to those who are older and wiser will often be for our good and for the good of our whole community. We hear this repeated throughout scripture in Proverbs 4.10. It says, hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. And then somewhat more blunt, Proverbs 30.17, the eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. This fifth commandment, Paul And this theme that runs through scripture calls us to obedience because it is right. Because it is right, because it is commanded of us. Because in general, it will go better for us. So what does obedience actually look like? Obedience in the Greek is, or this word for obedience in the Greek is interesting. It's a combination of two words, one for listening and one for sort of sitting under. And so this obedience bears the idea of active listening in obedience. As I read about that and thought about it, I could actually, um, I could actually feel a sense of relief that my parents were not going to be at this service this morning. I look back and I think about how many instructions or how much advice I missed because I didn't listen. Perhaps you feel like you say, are you listening to me constantly? I had that annoying skill of being able to repeat the last few words, even though I hadn't actually taken them in. If you don't listen, you can't obey. This is really hard for our children and young people today. 
they have got so many voices clamoring for their attention, not just in front of them day by day in school or as they play in the street, but whether it's across a video game where they're playing someone in another country, whether it's on their phone from conversations that spill over from school. There are so many voices which clamor for their attention and demand obedience from them. There's a call for us in that, I think, to guard so carefully what our young people are doing with their devices, how they are using technology, and to keep them safe as they do that. I touched on it a few moments ago, as I said, we sort of pulled over, but this doesn't mean that we obey parents when they ask us to do something that goes against Scripture. When they ask us to do something which is morally wrong or against common sense or your conscience, you're to obey them in the Lord, Paul says. Obey them in those things which are consistent with God's character and his word. It's an attitude of obedience. Now that is thinking about those who are living under the roof and authority at the moment of their parents. But notice that we are also called to honor our parents. This goes beyond obedience. This is um, a, a, a deep love a regarding highly, a loyalty, a respect, and a showing of consideration. Some of us will feel like we have outgrown by many years our obligation to obey. But I would say that we never outgrew our obligation to honor them, to respect and love and care for them. None of us go beyond that. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for, it, uh, for this is right. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. This is divine wisdom for us. But in Ephesians, there's, Paul also gives us this divine wisdom for parents. So that's my, that's my second point this morning. So advice for parents. And we're looking just at verse 4. The divine wisdom for parents is, is beautifully laid out here in one verse. The first part is negative and the second part is positive. Look down with me at verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. There's the negative. That is, do not cause your children to seethe and boil with anger. It's tempting to think that we're yet to reach that stage of parenting, Ruth and I. But it would be wrong for us to believe that or think that. As I've thought on this for the last couple of weeks, I have been challenged already in, in my attitude. Challenged already in my laziness as a parent at times. Challenged already uh, to consider how I've messed up in this in the last couple of weeks. Because there are many ways we might do it, aren't there? One way we, that we might cause our children to seethe with this kind of anger and frustration is to 
is to place unreasonable demands on them. Asking things of them which are far beyond their capability or their level of maturity or loading them down with too many things to do or too many things to comprehend. It might be that we place too many expectations or too high expectations on our children. We live, don't we, in a competitive and obsessive, compulsive culture. culture. And there's a temptation to try and live through our children. One Christian writer describes that kind of living as one of the classic suburban sins. And I know that there's a balance, isn't there? We've got to push children to work hard, to follow through on commitments that they make, and we need to expose them to new and exciting experiences. But we do need to be conscious, don't we? Conscious of putting too much strain on children and young people. Another way that we might exasperate children is in fault-finding, always seeing the flaws in what they've achieved and done. Maybe it's on the sports field or in the work that they do in school. But neglecting to to praise what they have done well and encourage and build up. We see in the Old Testament this this real, uh, the negative effect of neglect um, in the relationship between Absalom and his father, David. The relationship between father, the king, and his son eventually leads to Absalom wanting to kill his, kill his father. Maybe it's inconsistency or injustice that provokes them to anger. We could spend the rest of today listing those things. And I certainly, and I, I imagine all of us, will know that we need God's help and strength in this. Children are fragile and they are developing. They're drinking in all that they see and hear. They're catching character from us. They're catching their ability to model and deal with conflict from what they see in us. They're catching their example or their model in regulating emotions. A lot of my week is taken up or is spent dealing with those sorts of things that Teenagers and children say to one another, which hurt and cause offense. They say them face to face, behind each other's back, or of course online in some chat that um, the other person didn't know about until someone told them. Young people today don't, don't have it easy. It can be pretty brutal for them out there. It's heartbreaking to sit with a child, as I did this week, who's devastated because a group of girls who she thought were her friends, were chatting online about how fat and ugly they thought she was. It's awful. Just this week, that girl was in my office, barely able to speak because her friends had said things just like that and then showed her the messages. And there was a lot of worse in there that it wouldn't be right to repeat. I look at Freya sometimes and I worry about her little heart, her little mind when it comes to what her peers might say to her. But you know, 
What is even harder to bear is when that spirit crushing happens in the home. When the most painful things are said to children by their parents. Sometimes, sometimes I see that in meetings. You can see the pain or disappointment in a child's face as the people who should have their back are actually those who are hurting them the most. It's easy for me to cast such judgment on them. But we are all fallen. None of us can get this right all the time. I knew I will lose my temper over and over and over again with Freya. None of us can get it right all the time. And so we move on in this verse to look at the positive. What should we do? Paul says, but, or the NIV says, instead, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And I think there's three things um, in, in reading about these verses that I want to draw out. The first is gentleness. We find it in those words, bring them up. This phrase has a sense of, of nourishment to it. The idea of gently growing these children, kindly cherishing them up in tenderness under the teaching of the Lord. It sounds obvious, I know, but I can think of many times in this last year when gentleness did not characterize my response to Freya or to children in school. I know I am prone, and many say it's to do with my hair, but I know that I am prone to lose my temper too quickly. My fuse is too short, and I am prone to be overbearing. But yet we are called here to gentleness. A gentle, nourishing tenderness to raise our children in the Lord. Secondly then, notice this focus on training to discipline our children, to train them. In the original language, this is a really strong word. There's a real intentional uh, focus to it. I said already we knew that children catch so much of what goes on around, around them rather than having everything taught to them. And it's a challenge to us. Do we, do we model godliness, model compassion, kindness, joyfulness, patience, goodness. We do all know that the other end of this, that discipline will involve punishment at times, but that, that doesn't push out the gentleness. We will have to punish at times, but albeit within the gentle tenderness that we just thought about, nourishing children as they grow. I can remember playing in our garden with other children um, from our street when I was seven or eight years old. I can picture this scene really vividly. My mum came to the door to call me in, most likely really to get rid of the other children who were playing in the garden. But I responded with, shut up, shut up. I don't, I don't even know why I would have said that to her, but I said, shut up, mum, thinking that I was the big lad in front of my friends. What I didn't know was actually that my dad was home um, from work, and he suddenly emerged from behind my mum, probably nearly like dismantling her out of the way to get to me, um, and I just ran. Um, 
I didn't really know what I thought I was going to do, but I ran for a while. Um, but eventually, um, I came home and I suffered the consequences of being so rude. But I learned that day that I should never use that phrase again. And when it does slip out of my mouth, that I am taken straight back to that point where I'm seven or eight and almost subconsciously look for him um, as if he might be around me. I was trained in how to speak to others and especially how to speak to my mum. Training children sets them on the path of righteousness. And that's really linked to this last, um, this last focus for us. It's instruction. This has a root of, of confronting, of setting instruction before the mind. This is intentional too. And it's not just about on a Sunday. It's not just about for those who lead these groups downstairs. This is instructing our children in the Lord. I'm saying all of this, and yet I knew that we are one year down this track. And although it's been difficult, um, I knew that the disobedience and difficulty won't come to an end um, as she grows up. I look back over the last 13 months, and I think about the number of times that I have lost my temper with a baby, a helpless baby, and I think, how much worse will this be when I knew that they're choosing to disobey. There have been times where we felt like she would never stop crying or she might never go to sleep. And I knew, like I say, it is not going to get easier. And so in preparing this, and I hope for all of us this morning, this passage has, has felt like something of a mirror. In preparing it, I have felt challenged over the sins under my parents and I felt challenged over my impatience and sin as a father. I knew how much I need God's grace to forgive me and how much I need his spirit to equip me for the role that he has called me to. Ephesians 6 verse 1, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for every child um, and young person that you have called to be a part of our church. Thank you for them. And Lord, we thank you for our children's groups, for Chris and his team, um, who do so much each week to teach them of you. But Lord, we pray for ourselves in the home. Equip us with what we need for the task that you have called us to. All the while, Lord, looking to you, the perfect father, the perfect example. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.